Welcome to the Grad School Soul Collective. We are here today um, on this show, on this podcast, um, really to um, talk to higher ed faculty, to talk to industry experts, as well as current graduate students to share insights, stories, and lessons learned to help our historically underserved black and brown students, um, graduate students position themselves for career success. Um, we are sharing our collective knowledge. I'm your host and chief community builder, Alyssa J. And I'm happy that you decided to join us today. And on today's show, we are going to be talking about refueling, healing, and how to maintain your social emotional well-being as a person of color, specifically as a graduate student of color in the academy. And our guest for today is Dr. Holly Sawyer. So welcome, Dr. Sawyer. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. And we are excited to have you. Um, and so let me tell you a couple of couple of things about um, Dr. Sawyer. And um, what would you prefer that I, is Dr. Sawyer okay? I, got, I prefer Dr. Holly. Okay. So we're going to do Dr. Holly. Glad I asked. So Dr. Holly is a licensed therapist in, in Philly. Um, she is the CEO and lead psychotherapist at her solo practice, Life First Therapy and Therapy Loft Collective, which is an online group practice uh, with her team of dynamic therapists. Dr. Holly is also an entrepreneur, uh, an entrepreneur uh, and mindset coach. She is a uh, national mental health public speaker and she is also a college professor. Um, to boot, she is the author of Get Your Mind Right, Get Your Money Right, The Mental Health Guide for Successful Entrepreneurs. And it's time to talk about trauma. She's been featured on um, Philadelphia Fox, Philadelphia's Fox News 29, um, in Bustle, in Pop Sugar, and many more. And also, I'm going to add a couple of personal sprinkles here, um, is that I met Dr. Holly um, within um, Black Girl Ventures. And so um, it's an amazing organization that supports um, Black female identifying entrepreneurs. And um, she, I was on a, um, I was in a mentor circle. And um, I happened to get into a room with Dr. Holly. And let me tell you something. She's going to give it to you. She's going to tell you. Um, she's going to give you amazing advice. Um, however, the icing on the cake for me was even after the mentor circle, when I reached out to her, um, she has been a breath of fresh air. She's like, um, she's like a blanket, right? And so it's like, you get that um, whatever temperature, it's like adjusting to, to what you need. And so I am grateful that she's here to share her knowledge. Um, I'm grateful that she is a Black woman um, that is talking to me um, through that identity and all the other identities that, that she has and that she brings. And, um, you know, I just wanted to, sometimes when you have folks that you're talking to, that they're coming in as this, right, as this speaker, as this therapist, as this entrepreneur, as this author, um, but you're also uh, an amazing human. 
And so I wanted to kind of put that out there. So welcome. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> you. Thank you for such a warm introduction. I appreciate that. I had a blast um, meeting you. It was um, such an amazing experience because you really just, you know, shined and put your all into it. And I was like, wow, this is really her baby. And so it was, it was so such a blessing just to be a part of that experience with you and to share that. Um, and I'm, I'm just so happy to see the fruits of all of that. Cause that was almost a year ago today. Yeah. 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 It was absolutely. like last summer. It was right. Yeah. yeah. And to see you come like full circle, like you're doing it. So congratulations on everything that have that has come, you know, to pass since then. I appreciate you. And it's it's still coming. So we yes, um, you know, we we keep on moving. Yes. Yes. Well, we are gonna just um we're gonna go ahead and, and dive into it. And um, so again, we are talking today about refueling, healing, and how to maintain this social emotional well-being as a person of color specifically a graduate student of color um, in, the, in the academy. And so um, I just wanted to enter the conversation and just um, first off, just ask you, um, why is social emotional well-being um, so important um, right now in this space for um, black and brown students, um, specifically in uh, academe? Well, there... <laughs> how can I put it, being in a college setting, that's a social setting. So you, you are basically, I won't say forced, but being in a social setting, you have to be social, right? Whatever that looks like for you. So I don't want to make it look like this is an introvert versus an extrovert, but whatever social means for you. And so whatever that looks like for you, it's important that that is sustained and maintained especially in higher academia, because there's so much pressure, whether you're getting your master's, whether you're getting your doctorate, right? You already have that pressure. And so when you have a, a healthy social and emotional well-being, that will allow you to matriculate on an even better level when you are having some or experiencing some high stress on the academia side. So um, in my experience of being a graduate student, I've always found that to be um, very important because again, when, when that you know, homework gets hard, that thesis, that dissertation, when I'm socially, emotionally balanced, I can lean on that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And, and even the, um, uh, the naming of, of these two that are talking to each other, that are interacting with each other. And sometimes um, as graduate students, we're coming in really on the, on the academic side. Yeah. And, and, and we're already coming in being sometimes single parents, sometimes married, sometimes we are 52, sometimes we're 32. We have a full-time job, a part-time job, two jobs. So we're coming in with real life, right? While we are being a graduate student, whether a master's or a doctorate. So emotionally, we, we can be in so many different spaces. And so when we're trying to focus, again, on our academia, if we can just have that social and emotional well-being at a space that supports us because so much other um, things in life are happening, that really can keep us focused. Because as a professor, I've seen so many people because of outside life responsibilities leave. And they'll be like, okay, I'll just finish it later. I'll get my master's or doctor later. And they start because again, that, that balance isn't there. Yeah. Yeah. I completely, um, I, it's so important. So important. 
Um, and so I wanted to um, kind of reel back just a little bit and, and just think about you in the space, you as, as professional you in coming in um, with this expertise and just um, really ask you a little bit about um, how did you know and, and kind of when did you know that you wanted to, to be in this space to, to support others um, in this journey? Yeah, so I have been in education since 2003, but it was K through 12. I started out as a substitute teacher, then a literacy specialist. And I was like, you know what? Yes, I was like, you know what? I love the children, but I love teaching, but I don't think the K through 12 is my population just because the parents were like a nightmare, right? So in 2008, I shifted into higher education and I've been there ever since and I loved it and what I noticed was depending on the institution that I taught for a lot of the students were coming back from the war a lot of them were veterans a lot of them had some mental health issues and they gravitated towards me and would talk to me and I would respond back and interact with them because life is real and it shows up just because you're getting a degree doesn't mean life stops. Right. And so some of the universities would slap me on a hand and be like, you can't be a therapist and a professor. You have to be a professor, refer them to the academic advisor. And I'm like, hmm, an academic advisor isn't the same as a therapist because some institutions, believe it or not, don't have a department for that, right? Don't have counseling. And so as years continue to go by, I got really frustrated with higher education because I'm like, this is not who I am as a person. And so um, after experiencing postpartum depression myself, not seeing a lot of black female therapists in Philadelphia and then experiencing you know, that with my students, I was like, you know, I gotta go back. So this time now, Nobody can tell me that I can't, you know, provide you the therapeutic space and teach you because now not only have I been a college professor, I'm licensed. So you can't slap me on the wrist if I'm trying to, you know, engage humans to human when they're feeling quite unbalanced, because I know if I don't help them in that space, again, they're going to drop out. Yes. And that's nothing that an academic advisor could really appease to right so that those two things were really why I was like you know what I got to go into this space I have to I love it I love it and I even love how you lifted up um the difference the differences between the needs um and supports that academic advisors are designed to um to provide and so the, the, the academic plan and, and helping you to make sure you're making the choices to, to set you up, to hit those benchmarks, that's very, very different than, very. than the social emotional well-being, um, especially um, thinking about the cultural um, divides, the cultural uh, um, disconnects, I would say, that, that exist in, in education, right? As a, you know, I was a, I was a, a K-12 educator um, up until very, very recently. And so, um, but then even coming to academia and, um, and seeing it as well. And so they may not see, they may not read the signs. They may not, you know, at all, at all. And I didn't want any of my students who I was blessed enough to be their professor throughout all the universities that I, um, taught for to have a message in their head that I have to suppress this. And when I'm in the classroom or academia, I can't express that. It's just, focus on this. No, if you're struggling 
and you're in that space. And guess what? For most of our black and brown students, I'm the only person that they probably have in their life that they can share and talk to. So who am I to silence them, right? Because I don't know if that silence means when they go home, if that's their last day, because they're on the brink of suicide or overdosing. So, and, and, and I say that with all sincerity, because we really don't know how serious situations are in people's lives, especially our students, because they are adults. They're not, I, will, I don't like the term not traditional, but they are adults that are not coming in, you know, fresh out of high school, should I say. Absolutely. When they're coming back for their master's and their doctorate. And so I think it would be really remiss if I did not allow them to just be the full, the full human, if you will. Yes. I love that. Um, and even um, letting folks know that, that it's okay for them to yes. be um, to come in as their as their full selves and and not have to say I've got to leave this at the door in order for me to be able to be successful in, you know in this program and in the idea that that you do it's like you're getting a you're a graduate student and and don't be a mom and don't be a, a and don't be you know uh, don't care for your family and don't don't carry this and don't be that and it's and and you can't and so um, I love that. I just even think I'm thinking about it myself. Like I've fallen to that where I've said, you know, I'm this and I've got all these other things that I put in a drawer. Yeah. And I, you know, and I'm not saying that you have to be open and share this with all of your professors, because there are some professors who don't want to hear it and they're not open to have it to, to give you that space. And guess what? That's okay. So with, when you have that type of scenario situation, what I encourage you to do is go to the disabilities office. If you know that you have ADHD or ADD or you're autistic or you have a diagnosis, please don't think that going to your disability offices to get those accommodations is a mark on you. It's not a mark. It doesn't follow you. It's again, insurance to say like, hey, I'm going through something mentally right now. And this is this semester is pretty rough for me. It could be the type of classes that you're taking, but it's okay. It's totally okay because you're not going to always have a professor who gets it and who understands it. But when you have those actual services, because that department supports you, then they have to acknowledge it because it's legal. Yeah, I love that. I love even even pointing that out too, right? And so, um, so I want to do a little bit. I want to do a little bit, a little bit of a pivot. And, okay. Um, um, what are some indicators or signs that um, grad students should pay attention to um, as they are working towards, you know, maintaining this social emotional well being in academia? Um, being a graduate student. What should they be paying attention to? In regards to in what? In regards to if they are um, going through school and they're and they're thinking maybe that they're not um, that their well being is off balance. Okay. Maybe dealing with some things. Um, okay. What are some some things that they should pay attention to about themselves? Sure, um, sure. Thing. Go ahead. So one thing that um, I noticed. Um, because I was a therapist at, at um, Temple University, one thing I noticed with a lot of students was the isolation mm. socially. And not because of the pandemic, but if you have three close friends and you find you're finding that you are not connecting with them as much, whether it's you know in the group chat, phone call, text, or hanging out, that can be a clear indicator because a lot of times when we're off balance, as you said, socially and emotionally, the first thing we like to do is go within. 
and kind of cut everything else off. Not in a way like, oh, I'm just disconnecting for a minute, but in a way like, I don't, I don't want anybody, you know, to come into this space. I need to be alone. I need to distance myself because I'm feeling totally imbalanced, right? Um, so besides um, socially isolating, another thing is I, I, I've noticed is the appetite. Mm. Not necessarily overeating, but not eating enough or not eating at all. And I don't never ever tell, you know, anybody that, oh, you need to eat, you need to eat because sometimes your nervous system can't break it down. It can't handle it. But what I do recommend is that if you are feeling that way, eat soup, drink broths, make smoothies that have, um, you know, nutrients in them so that your body is still getting some type of hydration, electrolytes and nutrients, because you don't want to pass out at class or walking to class and you wake up with an IV in your arm because you're severely hydrated. So I don't, again, I don't force, I don't tell people, well, you got to eat, you got to eat. No, eat what your nervous system is able to break down, right? And then the third thing I've noticed for people who have um, socially, emotionally um, imbalanced is that they either can't sleep or sleep a lot. Yeah. So it's literally between being an insomniac and just like all you do is sleep. And even when you wake up, you're so exhausted that again, you go back and you just sleep for like hours on end. Yeah. Right. And so when you have those three things, or at least I would suggest that those are like three main signs for someone who may be socially, emotionally imbalanced. Um, They may be early onset signs of like mild depression or even anxiety. Um, you know, again, it's so much happening in real life on top of your academics that, you know, your social emotional well-being can be imbalanced. And so those are three, three main signs that I've noticed within the college students that I've um, done therapy with. I love that. Um, I love that um, you've identified those and they're, they're also kind of the border where you're like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of not hungry or oh, I'm a little bit more tired but paying attention to yourself and the signs um, and even um, highlighting the, that this is pre-pandemic, right? This is like, so we can't, oh, it's the pandemic. There's so much, the pandemic is here. Um, you know, we're in phase two and, um, but, but real talk, some of these things were happening um, prior um, yeah. to, the, to the pandemic. And so um, I appreciate that. And so I wanted to kind of round off the conversation with, um, what are some ways that higher ed that you think higher ed can support, can better support um, black and brown students in, in the academy in terms of what you've seen and maybe how their needs might be the same or different um, than other graduate students? Um, so I think it depends on if the graduate student attends an HBCU or PWI. Mm-hmm. So that's first and, that's first and primary. Um, PWIs have to be more inclusive of their black and brown students and the differences that they come into um, academia with, right? Again, we talked about the single parent, you know, working two jobs, right? That you may not find with your white peers who basically don't have to take out loans. You know, they're using, um, you know, monies from, you know, their parents or whatever the case may be. So I think PWIs in general have to look at our unique 
individual situation when it comes to supporting black and brown students socially and emotionally so that they can feel supported. Um, I think representation have to be there so many times, you know, I'm talking to law students, medical students, and they just, the representation isn't there, although they chose to go to a PWI, which is totally their choice. But PWIs, again, have to look at how they can support this particular population because we're coming in again, behind the line and not like ahead, like our white counterparts. And as far as HBCUs, um, I do think that we still have to continue to look at our uniqueness. One thing that I think HBCUs are doing an excellent job at, which I graduated from one, Grambling State University. When I graduated from high school, true story, my GPA was a 1.7. I literally had to go to um, night school and not because I was dumb, but because I literally just refused to participate in gym. I worked during the day, I went to night school and I graduated and I applied to HBCUs and PWIs. And my academic advisor told me, you're never gonna get accepted into a college or university because your GPA is so low. You might as well just apply to a community college because you're not gonna make it. And lo and behold, when Grambling State University sent me my acceptance letter with a 1.7 GPA, you could imagine the feeling that came over me. And I think that's one thing that HBCUs continue to do well. And I would just say that they, if they just continue to rev that up because nobody wanted me. And because of that 1.7 GPA and they accepted me, here I am now. Yeah. Right. But a whole doctorate and license. And so I just encourage our black and brown students who attend HBCUs and PWIs that if the support isn't there, also be an advocate and advocate in that start that graduate support group for your black and brown students. Right. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the SGA. But again, if you don't see that trend there, you can start what it is that you need to see and the type of support that you you want to you want to have. Um, so it's I don't I don't, I don't want to say that it's always just the institution's responsibility, but we have to also advocate for our needs as well. I love that, and that is a perfect. Um, and and you're right, and you are here, um, and you're speaking, and you're lifting, and you're climbing, um, and and um, and you're right, and it's not. Um, Sometimes we hear these stories and we're like, oh, that's a good story we heard on TV. And it's like, no, this is someone that you talk to every day. This is someone that you respect. This is someone that is um, um, doing amazing work um, outside of academe, within academe, um, scholarship, as well as books, as well as speaking that, that is powerfully impacting people. And so um, we have to remember that. <laughs> yeah. So I am so thankful for you being here. And before we go, um, if you could please tell the audience where they can find you, um, how they can, can reach you and, and um, learn more about the work that you're doing. Sure. I hang out on Instagram all the time. So I'm an Instagram uh, social media person. They can find me. I have two handles. So the first handle is Dr. Holly Coaching. On there, they can find anything related to entrepreneurship, mindset shifting, um, and my podcast. And then for the therapy side, I am Life First Therapy LLC, Life First Therapy LLC. So those are my two handles on Instagram. Fantastic. And we will be sure um, to put those in the, in, the, in the show notes for everyone. And so again, 
Um, thank you so much for being with us, um, Dr. Holly, and um, for everyone else out there, um, keep on, keep on, keep on in this graduate student journey. And um, please know that um, you are definitely the ones that you have been waiting for. Yes. Um, <laughs> you definitely are. And, um, you know, until next time, um, you know, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.